Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, we're having an extended version of Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. Always glad to have Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn, my friends here, to discuss what matters most, and that is the Lord Jesus. And any questions you have, we are more than happy to try to answer them for you. The text line is 877-933-2484. But if we can now resume to this George Barna survey, which I was uh, made aware of yesterday, uh, let's go to number three, if we can, gentlemen. And that, one of the questions uh, asked, if you have and hold a biblical worldview and you identify as a born-again Christian, you were asked, is Satan real or just symbolic? I think most people would prefer he's symbolic. I agree. Because they don't want to believe there's a real force out there working against them until they meet him or one of his henchmen called the demons. And I had staff members that came in one time with me to, I didn't know it was going to be an exorcism. Women came in with problems, and after a period of time, uh, I commanded in the name of Jesus and by his shed blood that this uh, demon had no more power and come out of her and... Uh, it did, and she collapsed, and those three staff members were shook for a long time. I bet. Because they'd never seen that. They had heard it, but they'd never seen it. And I wish I could get everybody in there to see it a couple of times. Mm. You know, we see Satan in the Old Testament, uh, this this uh, powerful angel who falls from heaven. We see Satan in the temptation of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, he's talked about in the epistles. We see him in the book of Revelation where he indwells the beast and gives him his power during the end times. And we see him at the very end that he's thrown into the lake of fire um, at, at the very end. So, uh, yes, he's real, uh, but we as Christians should never forget that he is a defeated foe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been defeated, and his fate is sealed. And never forget that God says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Okay. Here's another question that was asked, and, and the question was, can you earn your salvation? Can you earn eternal life? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> and and Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes that very clear. It says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that we cannot, so that we can't boast. Um, so, yes, yeah, Scripture makes it very clear that salvation is by faith alone and not by works. Here's the reality, and I've worked with a lot of people. People that don't know Jesus don't know they need to be saved. So how can you produce salvation when you don't even know you need to be saved? What you say is, life is unfair, I haven't had the breaks I deserve, that type of thing, but not understanding that they are sinners who need redemption by a loving God. And until they hear that message and hear it over and over, and the Spirit works in their heart, they aren't interested in salvation. Uh, they don't even think much about life after death. Mm-hmm. Here's another question. Did Jesus live a sinless life no sin in his life i yes, i got the, the new- theological answer oh, i'm sorry jeff no go ahead yes 
<laughs> <laughs> yeah, another short answer. The, there's actually a number of passages that declare that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might receive the righteousness of God. So yes, Scripture declares that he was, just like the lamb that was sacrificed, which was supposed to be without spot or blemish, so the lamb of God is without spot or blemish. Now, one of the things that he didn't follow was the some of the rabbinical laws that were added to God's law, right. and he did break some of those, like when he spit on the ground and made mud to heal the guy who's blind. All the religious leaders said, oh, he's he's breaking the law. He didn't break the law. He broke their rules. Oh, right. Their mm-hmm. rule was you weren't supposed to make mud on the Sabbath, and Jesus made mud by spitting on the ground. So that was not part of the law of God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And think about it. If you and I were put on a cross and we were innocent— and we were beaten and treated the way we've been treated, I'm not sure we'd be forgiving those that did this to us. I'm not sure we'd be taking care of our mother than saying, John, take care of her. Uh, No, but Jesus knew his mission, and he was sinless, and that's why we are redeemed. All right, the last one, gentlemen, is, is God all-knowing and all-powerful? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love the answers are getting shorter. Well, of course he is, and here's the simple reason why. If you look at the, the uh, James Webb telescope, it's now coming out with some phenomenal photographs of the universe. Scientists are now admitting there is not an end to the universe. It's bigger than we ever thought it was. The complexity is beyond belief out there. And scientists are starting to admit this is all by intelligent design. Now, the reality is this. Our God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, ha- are the creators and if they're the creators, they're over everything. And there is nothing that happens to which they will not have the final word. Now, people will say to me, well, then why do babies, why are babies born, you know, uh, with all kinds of problems? Or why do some kids have cleft palates? Or why do people get cancer? Because we live in a sinful world. The world's out of harmony. But ultimately, Jesus will have the final word in all things and take care of all things. And he is the final answer to everything. And that's why he came. Well, so, you know, so, I think I'm sorry. I think fulfilled prophecy, really quick, is such a proof of God's omniscience because there are literally hundreds of prophecies in Scripture that came true exactly as the prophet said they were going to, as he spoke from God. And and who who on earth can predict the future with 100% reliability? But God can because He knows all things and He knows the future. Mm-hmm. So here's the list. And born again Christians, they identified themselves as followers, born again believers, and they were asked these six questions: Is there absolute moral truth? Is the Bible accurate? Is Satan real? Can you earn your way into heaven? Uh, did Jesus live a sinful life? And is God still all knowing and all powerful? And only 19 percent of people who identified as born again Christians agreed mm-hmm. with this list. So the question that this raises is, who, who's at fault that 19% of people who identify as born-again Christians are agreeing with this and the rest aren't? Jeff and I will jump right in here because we believe in honesty. I'm a pastor of the Word of God. I'm a teacher of the Word of God. Jeff is a teacher of the Word of God. The bottom line is, it's the teacher and pastor's fault, and it's very simple. Most of us have been too interested in keeping the organization going 
or getting enough money for the next quarter or how things run, instead of really teaching over and over and over these great truths, these six truths that you went through, Bill, these should be taught not only annually, but several times a year and should be in every message that comes out because most of us have to hear this over and over and over before it hits us the first time. Mm -hmm. This is critical. You know, some will say, oh, when you teach these things you're, you're to the church, you're, you're preaching to the choir. And, and it's like, well, yes, we need to teach the choir. I, I think in a lot of ways the choir has forgotten how to sing, and we haven't been passing these things on to the next generation. Scripture makes it very clear that when you t- teach these things to your children, Deuteronomy 11 says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Ephesians says, bring up your children in training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, So we need to keep preaching to the choir over and over and over again so that this, I mean, eight, what was it, 18%, Bill? 19%. 19%. That's woefully I I agree. That should be... 90, it should be a hundred percent to be honest with you, but I would uh, think so. you know, I'd accept 90 percent. Yeah, all right, thank you for that. That was a uh, really nice to process that. I've been thinking about that since yesterday. All right, here's a question I was raised Lutheran, Sunday school confirmation. I did not understand the Trinity until later into my adulthood. Even so, if anyone tried to tell me Jesus wasn't real, I defended him and always felt like he was real, but not understanding completely. I later gave my life to Christ at a Billy Graham event. Nothing changed in my life. I started reading the Bible and completed it in two years. I understood very little uh, about what I was reading. Several years later, I had an enlightening at a church service that completely transformed me. I was able to understand the Bible. I could see my sin completely. I now have found a new church, and I can't get enough of the Word. My question is, was I saved prior to my rebirth? Well, it it depends on what you define as saved. Did you, in your heart and mind, confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Um, A lot of people do that, and and I believe that is a a step that is where salvation comes from, because we can't always feel it. We can't always understand it in a way that makes us feel really cozy and warm. Now, this gentleman had what I'll call a spiritual enlightening moment by the Holy Spirit. I'm all for that. But here's the other thing. My contention would be if he was, I don't know how old this gentleman is. Let's say I think was, it's a woman. Oh, this woman, excuse yeah, me. That's all right. If you were 40 years old when this happened, then, but you, and you say, I was enlightened at that moment. It's changed everything in my life. How did you get to that moment? What was the 40 years before that? Mm-hmm. And the Spirit was working through that and working through the Word and you're reading through the Word because when that moment came, Everything fell into place, and that's exciting, and I'm happy for you, and I want that for everybody. You know, I'm going to rejoice with her right now because it appears that there is no question anymore about whether or not she is saved or not. She's excited to know the Lord and to study his word and, and so on. We cannot see the heart. Only God can see the heart. So I don't know if she was born again when before she read the Bible the first time and, and it didn't really make sense to her, or whether she was born again later when it did start 
to make sense for her. I don't I I can't see her heart. She might not even be able well obviously she's asking the question. I've heard some in Christianity say unless you have an exact moment and an exact date uh on which you were saved then you are not born again and I I just I I don't agree with that kind of uh, statement. Uh, many times for many people, they can't identify one specific point. But right now, today, do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he's been risen from the grave? If yes, then Scripture says that you are saved. Well, and here's the interesting thing, and and what Jeff said is right. Here's the problem. I don't think we've been teaching born again very biblically for a long time. I just preached on this, John 3, 1 through 8 about Nicodemus, and then last week I preached on 9 through 17. What is What Jesus is saying there is that unless you are born from above, you cannot even perceive your need to be saved. We keep saying you repent, you receive Jesus, and you'll be born again. The Bible's saying unless you are born from the Holy Spirit, you don't even know you need to be saved. And so I don't know when this woman woke up, but she had a real experience by the Holy Spirit, and she's now committed to Jesus, and I say, praise God. So that waking up is the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how it happens, because I'll be honest, guys, I did not come to a logical conclusion after reading the Bible that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It was after reading the Bible I came under conviction, and it was in one of my down moments that the Lord brought me to my knees, and I confessed Jesus is Lord. I didn't plan on that. I didn't work that out. It was something he did, and I'll always give him the credit. Amen. We'll take a break and be back with more Guide Talk. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish, Jeff Verdorn. We'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. So glad to be doing Guide Talk extended version, which means we we snuck in another 30 minutes today, which has been great, and the questions are flying in, so thank you for that. It is awfully great to uh, get questions. Here's one. I woke up one night, and it felt like someone was bouncing my bed up and down, and something heavy was on me. I said, I love Jesus. Go away, and it all stopped. Do I have demons in my house? What does this mean? Tom Parrish, I'm looking your way. Well, when you talk about the demonic, they're everywhere. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like they're void of your house or void of that. The Christian can't be possessed. They can be oppressed by demons. And I think a lot of Christians are to one degree or another. Or there's something of their past that hasn't been resolved or something they connected into as a kid that they still have some kind of connection. What I teach people is this. When you have that kind of encounter, and honestly, Bill, doing counseling all these years, I've heard these stories over and over and over We don't talk about them in church per se, but I hear them a lot. I simply tell people, look, you trust in Jesus, you use his name and his shed blood, and you command those demons, and they will eventually flee. And uh, I've had a young man who went through this all of his life, 
And as an adult, he is totally free because he learned how to use the name of Jesus and his shed blood. So I'm all for it. Use his name and you have the power. But the demons are out there to harass us. You know, they can't control us or claim us, but they're out there to harass, especially believers. Amen. And Paul says our battle is a spiritual battle. We know they're real. We see them in Scripture. Uh, the, the scene where the, the demon comes to Jesus. We know who you are, Son of the Most High God. Uh, they are out there, and they are real, and they do harass us. Um, you know, I have heard over the years, if you if you think you suspect that in your home— play worship music all the time and i've i've heard that uh that the, that they don't like that and uh and it keeps them a bay but you're right as tom was saying also use your authority in the blood of christ and just proclaim them away all right here's a question that says what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming of jesus can you explain them both jeff i'm looking your way yeah, the, the rapture is described in a couple places in Scripture, specifically 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, where it says that we who are alive and remain are caught up together with him in the clouds. John 14, this is the event where John 14 represents, where Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am also. So at the rapture, we see the righteous leaving earth going up to heaven. At the second coming, we see, this is described, uh, for example, in Revelation 19, we see Christ coming from heaven, riding on his white horse, dressed in fine linen, followed by these armies of heaven were following him. And so, and I believe that that's the, the church. The church is seen in heaven right before this, dressed in this fine linen, white and clean as a bride prepared, ready to come back down to earth. So we are going from heaven to earth uh, at the second coming. I think scripture indicates that there's a seven-year division between the rapture and the second coming. But regardless of what you think scripture points to the timing of the rapture, it seems clear to me from scripture that that they're two distinct separate events. There's lots of other differences that we could go into as well, but that's the big one. One, we're going up to meet him. The second coming is we're coming with him where Jesus is coming down to earth to establish his kingdom. And the good news is one way or the other, you're going to be there. Mm. You know, either you're going to be coming with the Lord, having already died, or you're going to be on earth when all this takes place. And I remember I, I was invited to a church years ago that was having, they were in they were arguing over these issues, uh, and, and they were trying to make it a salvation issue, whether you believe this or that on the second coming. And I believe strongly in the second coming, but I said to them, look, I'm looking out here, and most of you are 70 and 80 years old. You know, it doesn't matter when the second coming occurs or when the, the rapture occurs. You're going to meet the Lord face-to-face in a few years. You've got to be ready now. And... Uh, it actually ended the vision, the division that was in that church when they feel, finally realized that, yes, this is biblical. Yes, this is true. But whether I'm going to be there or not, I'm going to be there only because I'm with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, several of these issues that we've talked about today, uh, and Tom has said it correctly, these are not salvation issues, right? I heard a little clip from Alistair Begg this week, and it was so beautiful. I just Can I take just a second and kind of recount mm-hmm. it? He was describing the thief on the cross who is now at the gates of heaven, and the angel is basically saying, why, why are you here? Why, why do you let in? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm just here. 
And and he says, well, have you done a bunch of good things? Have you done some good works? And he goes, no, I, I was a thief. I was I was crucified on a cross by by the Romans. And oh man, you don't know why you're here. I better get a supervisor. So he gets a supervisor and just comes. In. He asks the same question: Why are you here? Do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? And he says, no. What's that? And and he says, well, then why do we let you in? And and the man says, because because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Wow. And that is the requirement for faith. If you believe in Christ, you are saved and you are now eligible. You are now qualified to enter in the kingdom of heaven because the man on the middle cross said you could come in. Preach it, Jeff. Preach it. Isn't that cool? Well, that was That's Al Shabek. I was so touched by that story. And I just, it, this was an opportunity to share that with, I love it. with you guys. All right, time for a couple more, I believe. My sister is Episcopalian, and she's talking about putting icons in her house. What exactly are icons? Most of the icons, or the way she's using it, comes out of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And icons, they would, if you go over to Russia, like I've been in other places, they would say, oh, no, 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 we do not worship the icons. And these are, these can be statues, these can be symbols, these can be a variety of things. Uh, we venerate them. And so I asked, what's the difference between veneration and worship? And that's where the discussion gets difficult. Here's the bottom line. The, the, the object itself is not the issue any longer. The issue is, where are you putting your confidence? And I put no confidence in an image. Uh, we have a cross in the church that I serve. I have no confidence in that wooden cross hanging up there whatsoever. But I do have total confidence, the one who died on that cross, and his name is Jesus. I... I Totally agree. It's not the object itself. It's a heart issue. Are you making it an idol in your heart? Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a cross or any item in your home. But if, if, like Tom said, if you're worshiping that, that's idol worship then. Okay. Do you think Adam and Eve's sin of eating the apple or the fruit, whatever it was, fall into any specific category of sin? Not eating the apple was one of God's first commandments but it isn't one of the Ten Commandments. Well, it, the Bible talks about rebellion. It's an obedience issue. Yeah, it's an obedience issue. They rebelled. I mean, think about it. They had everything. They had everything. Whatever they wanted, they could have. There was only one commandment or one word from the Lord. Don't eat from this tree. Don't touch it. And sure enough, they did. And isn't that our problem today? The Lord gives us so much, and yet we always seem to gravitate toward the wrong thing. That's why we have to keep coming back to the Lord. You know, and the lie is still the same, too. Did God really say? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the same lie as well in the world today. The world is constantly attacking what God has said about people, about w- your worth before God, that you are made in the image of God, about marriage, about sexuality, about gender, about all these things. The world is attacking God's ways in so many ways. Did God really say? Mm-hmm. And yes, he did. Yeah. And yes, he did. That's well, right. just so you know, some question, questions come in, and I, I think that I need to give you guys some advance warning oh, so sure. we can get better prepared. And I got a couple of those today. So if Great. you did not hear your question answered, it's because I think we need a little extra advance homework so we can uh, get the panel uh, ready and prepared to cover it well. Because... You know, we try to move through things kind of quickly here on the show, but this uh, couple of questions will require 
a little more time. So if you didn't hear your question answered today, I think you've got one of those questions. So thank you for sending it over. That's all the time we have for Guy Talk today. Gentlemen, it was an extended version, and I thought it was great. Fine. Thank you. Loved it dearly. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. You great bet. time. Jeff Verdorn, Pastor Tom Parrish have been my guests. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. James Merritt on how to deal with how you feel. surprise me that there's something known as the American Institute of Stress. And according to a study from them, 77% of people experience stress that affects their physical health. And 73% have stress that impacts their mental health. And 48% of people have trouble sleeping because of stress. Feelings are subjective. And so just like shifting sand, they can change without warning writes uh, Dr. James Merritt. But when you build your life on the solid rock of God's truth, you can rule over your emotions rather than allowing them to rule you. Dr. James Merritt is my guest. He's written a book called How to Deal with How You Feel. James, welcome. Hey, Bill. Great to be with you. How's the weather up there? That's what I want to well, know. Well, I appreciate you asking. Uh, it's, uh, it's snowy and rainy and sleety, and it's still kind of winter here. Well, it is 67 degrees here and sunny, and it's great to be down south. Yeah, so you really don't want to make friends with me. <laughs> no, in fact, I may have to help you deal with how you feel today. <laughs> well, no, I feel pretty optimistic because it is going to be nice like in the 50s next week. So I think, right. you know, the winter is coming to an end. But but it is true. I mean, there there's negativity that creeps into my mind more often than I would like to admit to. Well, you know, Bill, seriously, and, and we, we kind of joke about the weather, but, you know, we are feelings, we are creatures of feelings, we are creatures of emotions, and it's amazing how everything can be going great, and just one rainy day or one unexpected snow, and you're literally down in the dumps and don't even know why. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, so this book, How to Deal with How You Feel, which, by the way, is a very catchy title. Thank you, sir. I, I'd be curious as you know, why you were so inspired to write on the topic of feelings and emotions, because they are so fickle. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, and this is not the answer you were expecting, but I didn't want to write this book. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'd, I'd actually turned in a couple of other ideas to my, uh, uh, to my uh, publisher, and uh, Bob Hawkins is one of my best friends. He's the president of the company. And uh, we were just kind of bouncing things around, and he just said, you know, James, there's just so much out there on emotions and, and, and just every kind of, from one end of the spectrum to the other in our society today. And so we started talking and bouncing ideas back and forth. And, and you know, it's one of those books, Bill, to be honest, when I got into it, it really wasn't what I wanted to do. But as I got into it and began to really get into my Ph.D. mode and really start doing homework both outside of the Scripture and then particularly inside, I mean, I really did warm up to the topic, and uh, I'm really, and I really mean it, I'm really pleased with what uh, with, with the book that, that God gave me to write. I probably have gotten, Bill, more, and I don't mean this, no pun intended, I've probably gotten more emotional feedback 
from this book than any other book that I've ever written. Oh. And I didn't realize what a nerve that I was striking out there when, when I wrote the book. Yeah. Dr. James Merritt is my guest. His book is How to Deal with How You Feel. James, would you talk about uh, four steps to dealing with anxiety? Yeah, you know, um, and by the way, I'm glad you asked the question because one of the things about this book uh, that I learned is that, um, you know, no matter who picks this book up, no matter how emotionally healthy you may think you are, you're going to read one of these chapters, you're going to go, man, I need help there. That's been my weakness or that's been my Achilles heel. And um, you know, anxiety is kind of uh, it's kind of the it's kind of a, a, almost like a uh, a brother, if you will, to worry on the one side and stress on the other side. And the thing that I love uh, about God's word is it doesn't matter what effort, or what part of life that we're going through, that uh, is you know what, whatever difficulty they may be, the word of God has a word for it. And one of my favorite passages in Scripture is the fourth chapter of Philippians, where G, Paul literally was dealing with anxiety when he said, look, don't be anxious about anything. And then he gives us, in the following verses, four steps on how to handle anxiety. So first of all, you and I, I, it's an acronym, CALM, C-A-L-M. First of all, you, you celebrate the person of the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, Rejoice. Now, I realize there are people out there listening right now, and they probably just started pumping the brakes and wait a minute, James, that's my problem. I'm not happy. I'm very unhappy. I'm very frustrated. But you're telling me to rejoice. Well, first of all, joy is a choice. You, 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 don't, you may not be able to choose to be happy because happiness depends upon what happens to you. So if what's happening is bad, you may be unhappy. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. And you can always rejoice in the Lord. You may not be able to rejoice in your, uh, in your uh, employment situation. You may not be able to rejoice in a family situation you're going through. But you can always rejoice in the Lord. And so you celebrate the, the, uh, the person of the Lord. And then A stands for appreciate. You appreciate the presence of the Lord. Paul says in verse 5, the Lord is near. And when he said that, he didn't just mean, hey, he's, he's, you know, he's ready to come back, though he can come back at any time he wants to. He literally meant, you know what? The Lord is near. You, you don't ever had need a, a telescope to find the Lord. You don't have to go play hunt and seek with him. He's always right beside you. His presence is always inside of you, with you, beside you, and in front of you. And then L stands for liberate. When he says, do not be anxious about anything, uh, the word anxious means to be pulled apart or divided. And, and you know, an unstable, a, a divided man is, is unstable in all of his ways. And so what he says is, instead of being anxious with thanksgiving by prayer and petition, let your request be made known unto God. In other words, whatever you're anxious about, you're anxious about it one, for one reason, Bill, is because you can't handle what you're anxious about. Because if you could, you wouldn't be anxious. So he says, here's what you do. Take it to the one who can handle anything. And then M stands for meditate on the peace of the Lord. He says, if you'll do those things, there will be a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. When I wrote this chapter, I thought about all the people out there, Bill, that, they're, they, yes, they're looking for peace. They're hungry for peace. They're hunting for peace. And they're looking for it in all the wrong places, drugs, alcohol, sex, fame, fortune. And what they find out is they may medicate on that for a while, but it always wears out. 
But Jesus, when he brings peace into your heart, when you have the peace of knowing that God keeps every promise, including the one that says he will work all things out together for your good, there's a peace that comes into your heart that no doctor can give you. Mm, So good. Dr. James Merritt is my guest. Um, His book is called How to Deal with How You Feel. So, James, let me ask you this. Um, Let's say you're going through something really difficult. How do I how do I know if I'm idolizing my emotions uh, versus feeling and acknowledging them in a healthy way? Yeah, that's a great that's a great word. Well, here's what I would say, uh, Bill. First of all, I think that if your feelings are causing you to think, I'm not talking about. Well, let me let me preface this. If if guilt, if, if you're feeling guilt, for example, over something that's deserved, it's just deserved guilt. You've done something wrong. You know you've done it wrong. You need to confess. You need to repent. That's one thing. But when your feelings are are without any warrant whatsoever, either a negative affecting negatively affecting you, your mental health, your physical your physical health. It is negatively affecting your relationship with your wife, your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends. Or especially if it's negatively affecting your thinking about God, your thoughts about God, then you can know your emotions have got you. Your emotions are now in control of you rather than you controlling your emotions. And so it goes back. in, In fact, the central theme of the whole book is simply this. We have we are emotional people, and there's nothing wrong with that because God is an emotional being. God God has emotions. Jesus had emotions. Jesus got angry. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus understood what it was to be rejected. So we, we're emotional beings. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, God gave us our emotions not to control us, but to control them. And by the way, one of the ways, Bill, that we bear the fruit of the Spirit is by allowing, if you will, to use an old farmer's term, use your emotions to fertilize the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you just think through the fruit of the Spirit, just, just on those terms right there, almost every fruit is something that God wants to bring out of one of the negative emotions you might be experiencing. Mm hmm all right, James. Let's uh, talk about depression. Is is that uh, is God the bridge over that troubled water? You know, I'm glad you brought that up. I'll tell you an interesting story. In fact, I'm, I've never written about it in the book. I believe I did. Um, Bill, I, I really feel for depressed people for this reason. You, you don't know me. We've never met. I hope we get to meet face to face someday. But you know, you probably can pick up on even on our conversation. I'm a pretty intense guy. I'm a pretty upbeat guy. And and you know, depression is the one emotion that I never dreamed uh, in in my life ever that I would experience. And yet, uh, this happened, Bill, about about 40 years ago now, as a matter of fact. I was starting out my pastoring, uh, I was pastoring my first church out of seminary, and, Bill, this literally happened. One morning I woke up. I'm an early riser, always have been. And um, I didn't get out of bed. And Teresa came into the bedroom, and she tried to wake me up. I finally, she said, why are you in bed? Are you sick? I said, no. She said, well, get up. I said, I don't want to get up. She said, why? And I said, I don't know. She said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. I just, I don't want to get up. And, Bill, that started uh, a three-month journey for me where, uh, a candid confession, I really deserved an Oscar. You talk about putting on an award-winning performance. I kept pastoring my church. I kept preaching messages. I kept, you know, faking it when I would go, you know, to church or visit hospitals or deliver sermons or whatever. 
But literally, I would come home, and I would either sit in a chair, or I would go lay down, or I'd just get away by myself. I was in an absolute depressed funk. And Bill, to this day, I cannot tell you why I was depressed. I have, I have no reason. But what I did do, Bill, and nobody told me to do this, but here's what I did do. The one thing I did was every morning when I'd get up, finally get up, I would go. I had a little study outside of my house. I would read my Bible, and I would get on my knees, and I'd pray every morning. And I'm telling you, it was the hardest three months of walking with God I've ever had. It felt like the heavens turned to brass. It felt like sometimes I was just may as well be reading a newspaper. But I knew deep in my heart, if I'll stay connected to the Word of God, and if I'll stay connected in my heart in praising God, thanking God, loving God, and praying to God and worshiping God, God's going to get me out of this. And, Bill, this literally happened the, <clears throat> three months later, one morning. I just snapped out of it. I wow. mean, I just I just did. No therapy. If I'd had to do over again, knowing what I know now, I would have found a Christian counselor as quick as I could. But back in those days, you know, didn't know that much about it. So I'm saying all that to say that if there's anybody listening to the program today, I'm sure there are that are going, you know, going through depression. I know how you feel. I've been there. Some of you may be different. A lot of you may say, look, I know why I'm depressed. Well, that would be great. If you do, then let me just tell you. First of all, first thing you, I, I want to teach you to do is you've got to admit the reality of your depression. The, the worst thing you can do is you're depressed. And this is what I did, Bill, was not tell anybody. The only person that knew it was Teresa, and I swore her to secrecy. Mm-hmm. Well, looking back on it now, Bill, there were men in my church that would have helped me and walked me through this, but I, I was afraid to admit it. And then, number two, assess the reason for it. Now, again, you may not, you may be like me. You may say, well, gosh, I don't know. But most people do. You may be depressed because you're physically sick. Uh, You may be depressed because you've gone through a a tragedy in your life. Uh, You may be depressed because, you know, maybe you've been praying for something, God didn't come through, and you've kind of lost your faith. That's okay, but as much as you can, always try to assess, okay, why am I depressed? And then what you do, apply the remedy for it. So, for example, some people are depressed because they're just tired. The one thing that will depress anybody, you know, somebody said that fatigue makes fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Sometimes, maybe you just need to physically get away. Maybe you just take, need to take a spiritual retreat. Maybe you just need to get out of your house and go and go find somebody that's worse off than you are. But there's always good biblical, practical reasons why, with God's grace and God's help, you can deal with the problem of depression. Hmm. Doctor James Merritt is my guest. His book is How to Deal with How You Feel. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, if you have a question or comment for uh, James, you can text it over, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with my guest, Dr. James Merritt. He's written a book called How to Deal with How You Feel, Managing the Emotions that Make Life Unmanageable. James, would you talk about the difference between a worry and a concern? 
Yeah, you know, uh, it, it is it is a little bit of a nuance. And by the way, full disclosure, uh, there was two chapters in the book that I needed more than maybe anybody else, and this was one of them. Um, I'm my mom was a warrior, and I, I just at times I'm a worry wart, you know, uh, as well. And you know, worry seems to be at an epidemic. And so, uh, you know, to be clear, uh, worry is not concerned. And, and let me explain. Um, we should all be concerned about certain things, Bill. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm concerned about where the culture is heading. Um, right now, we're in my in a county where I pastor. There's a battle going on about uh, sex education in the public schools. A lot of parents are unhappy about where the school board's trying to, to take it. Uh, you know, we ought to be concerned about, uh, you know, there's an epidemic of, of, ch- of child and teenage suicide going on in our country. Uh, we ought, there's a lot of things we ought to be uh, concerned about. So I like the way one, a man named Harold Stevens said it this way. A worried person sees a problem, and a concerned person solves a problem. So we should have concerns. But we really should not worry, which is why Jesus, you know, obviously said a lot about where. As a matter of fact, a big portion of the greatest sermon I think ever preached in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a great portion of that uh, message actually deals with worry. And so, uh, you know, in my book, in my chapter on that, you know, first thing I talk about is just, hey, first thing, you've you got to put worries in their proper place. Because it's interesting, Jesus, you almost get upset if, a little bit at first because, you know, if somebody came into your office, Bill, and they said, hey, um, I'm worried about something, what should I do? If you just simply looked at them and said, well, quit worrying, they might, they might want to hit you over the head with a baseball bat, right? <laughs> but but yeah. that's what Jesus said. He said, well, first of all, don't worry. Just stop worrying. Put, you put your worries in their proper place. Worrying's like rock, sitting in a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. So first of all, put it in its, you know, put, put today, yesterday's worries in their proper place. But then you put today's worries in its proper position. What do you do? Again, well, he said, Jesus would say, hey, just go look outside your window. Well, what do you want me to look at? Well, why don't you look at the birds of the air? Do you see them worried? No. Well, don't you think if your father can take care of them, He'll take care of you. Or uh, if you have any flowers growing in your backyard, how about looking at them? Well, if God can clothe the grass of the field, don't you think he can take care of you? And then you put tomorrow's worry in proper perspective. Jesus said, whatever concerns you do have, leave them only for today. Why worry about a day that you're not even guaranteed will come? The only day we're guaranteed of is right now, today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may not be here. So put worry where it belongs. Put your concern where they belong, understanding God will take care of today. You know, one of the things I remember is this. When I get worried about something, I always stop and think, you know what? I'm here. I mean, I'm still here. <laughs> After all the troubles I've gone through, with all, and look, Bill, you know this. You talk to anybody long enough, Bill, everybody's had heartache. Everybody. That's not true. Everybody's been through the tunnel of darkness. Everybody's been through the, the, you know, the dark times. Everybody's been through the rocky waters. We've all done it, but we're here. We made it. We survived. Well, the same God that got us here yesterday will take care of today, and the same God that takes care of today is already prepared for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. James Merritt is my guest. His book is How to Deal with How You Feel. James, what would you say to a listener right now driving home from work and and that person is thinking, my emotions are killing me. And so what can I do about it? 
Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Bill, it, it, it sounds so simplistic. But first of all, I would ask that person honestly, uh, do you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? That, that's, that's the basics. That's, that's the beginning. That's the starting point. Because if you don't, frankly, you, I hope you do have some emotional issues. In fact, one of the emotional issues you ought to have right now is the feeling that, you know what, does my life have any purpose? Why am I here? Who am I? Where am I going? The three greatest questions that people must answer, and I believe the root of most emotional problems for a lot of people is because they've not answered one or more is, okay, why am I here? Who am I? Where am I going? Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, if you get those three questions really answered to your satisfaction, that takes care of a whole lot of emotional issues. That said, that would be my first question. My second question would be, if they say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, I have one simple question to you. Whatever is causing your emotional upheaval, one of two things is true. God can handle it or God can't. Now, if you don't believe God can, then why worry about it? Because if he can't, you can't either, so why worry about it? If you believe God can, then why worry about it? You don't need to try to handle it. Let him handle it. So that's why Jesus really would say, either way you go, you're like a rat caught in a trap. <laughs> worry makes no sense. You know, our emotions, whatever emotional evil you're going through, there is a biblical and scriptural remedy. And Bill, if I could just jump in real quick. One thing I want to make sure I'd say, I thought about this before you made the call. There's one emotion in the book that I found that hit the biggest nerve of all of them, believe it or not, Bill. It wasn't stress, worry, anxiety, depression, fear, loneliness, jealousy, anger, or guilt. It was bitterness. Bill, I am seeing an epidemic of bitterness, and I mean this, I mean this honestly because I've been through it, in families today. I'm seeing more division. I've, you know, kids that don't talk to their parents and parents don't talk to their kids and kids that won't let their parents see their grandchildren because they're upset at the parents. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable to me. And, and you, know, uh, you know, I've gone through some things myself in my own family and, where I, and I always had a choice to make every day. And I'm going to tell you, I hope, I hope somebody's out there needing to hear this right now. I don't, know, I don't know who gave you the short end of the stick. I don't know who messed you over. I don't know who, you know, fired you without just cause. I don't know what your issue is, but you have only two choices, bitterness or forgiveness. That's the only two. There's no middle ground. You have one of two choices, bitterness or forgiveness. And here's the point. If you stay bitter, you are drinking your own poison. But if you forgive, you give God the chance to heal your hurt. And, I'm, and, and I, I just really felt led to say that because that's the one chapter that struck more nerves than any other chapter I wrote in the book. Thank you for saying that, James. I'm, I'm really glad you, you brought that up because bitterness is a huge problem for so many people. And when you were just going through that list of, of anxiety, worry, depression, loneliness— Loneliness did come to the surface because I think, you know, fresh from the epidemic, the effect of loneliness on people has been really serious. And I love my listeners, and I know there's, there's many that are lonely, yeah. and it breaks my heart. You know, uh, there's two things I'd say that, well, three. Number one, you may be lonely, but if you know Jesus, you're never alone. And Bill, that's, that's true. so true. That's so true. You know, number one, you're never alone. Number two... If you're lonely, 
find somebody else. Because let me tell you something, you're not the only lonely person in the world. Mm-hmm. And guess what? When one lonely person finds another lonely person, guess what goes out the door? Loneliness. <laughs> Number three, yeah. get involved in a church. Get in community. Mm-hmm. God never intended for us to live a Lone Ranger Christianity. And there, there's somebody out there. You, by the way, you may think, well, I don't have anything to offer anybody. You absolutely do. And I'm telling you right now, if you're, not, if, if, if you're listening right now and you're not in a community of a body of Christ, two things are true about you. Number one, you're missing out on living, doing life with others who can help you be a better person. And they're missing out by you not living life with them and helping them be a better person. So, so important. I mean, if every lonely person knew Jesus, do you think it would cure the loneliness epidemic? Oh, not, not only would it cure the loneliness epidemic, I think we'd realize the, old, the truth of that old song, Bill, that I sung when I was a little boy, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Bill, I can say this to you, and you don't know me and I don't know you, but I can tell you this. My wife, we just celebrated this week our 47th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm more in love with her today than I've ever been. And she is, humanly speaking, my best friend. But Bill... My best friend is Jesus. He became my best friend when I was a nine-year-old boy, and for now 61 years, he's still the best friend that I've ever had. And when people really come to know Jesus, they really will come to know the meaning of that song. Wow, what a friend I have in Jesus, because Jesus is the one person in the universe that will walk into your house when the whole house, the whole world just walked out. Mm, so good. James, thank you so much for taking time today uh, to be on the show. And way to go with your book, How to Deal with How You Feel. Bill, it was an honor. God bless you. And stay warm to the warm weather hits. I will indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Dr. James Merritt has been my guest. His book is How to Deal with How You Feel, Managing the Emotions That Make Life Unmanageable. That's all the show we have for today. Thank you for listening and tuning in and supporting Faith Radio. It means the world to me. As I like to close, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.